Hey, everyone. I'm David Chalian, the CNN political director. This is the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Every weekday, we'll keep you up to date on the most important elements of this historic impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump. A little later on, I'll be talking to New York Times White House correspondent and CNN political analyst Maggie Haberman. But first, I'm joined by Athena Jones, CNN's national correspondent. Welcome, Athena, to the inaugural episode of the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Thanks, David. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for doing so. So uh, we had, just to uh, rewind, because I think people's heads are spinning a bit, uh, this is the end of week two of this uh, impeachment inquiry at this point. And we have we had already had... Uh, a White House released rough transcript of the July 25th phone call. And we already had the whistleblower complaint. What we got overnight was yet another uh, sort of evidence drop from uh, three committees on the Hill about some text messages, uh, which clearly between whether it was uh, diplomats dealing with the Ukraine issue or Rudy Giuliani helping uh, the president from the outside, clearly setting up The president's desire uh, to get something uh, in terms of investigations, a commitment from the Ukrainians, from the president of Ukraine, before committing to a White House meeting or a Trump meeting. That, to me, um, is some of uh, the most sort of concrete evidence of what was actually going on here. And, I, you know, it could be interpreted however Donald Trump wants to interpret it. But I think most people can just read these texts and see what the deal was here. I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear. So I highlighted a couple of these texts that I just wanted to go through. You did, too. So why don't you start, Athena, and tell us well, which text. For one thing, this, this is all about part of the Republicans' argument, at least so far, that there wasn't a, a, a quid pro quo, an explicit quid pro quo in the t- July 25th call. But if you look at these texts, they begin to add evidence that they're, they're, it's very clear what the Ukraine knows is expected of, of them. So, like, for instance, uh, several days before that call, July uh, 19th of this year, there's a text uh, these are texts, uh, a text from Kurt, Kurt Volker that says, good, had breakfast with Rudy this morning, teeing up call with Yermak, who's an aide uh, to the new president of Ukraine, Zelensky, uh, must have helped. Most important is for Zelensky to say that he will help investigation and address any specific personnel issues, if any. So that's just an example of them talking about what they had previously talked about uh, in wanting uh, the Ukraine to look into uh, this this gas company, Burisma, and, and uh, Hunter Biden, who was on the board, and, and also... Uh, what the Ukraine might have had to do with the 2016 election. So it's clear what they're talking about. here. Yeah, but what is also clear here is that, remember, Kurt Volker is actually the person in the administration who is the envoy to Ukraine. This is the one that's actually charged with with the relationship with Ukraine. And what is clear here is that this outside force of Rudy Giuliani is the one that is dictating the terms of what is important for Zelensky to do. I mean, to me, to have Volker say... From his breakfast with Giuliani, what is most important is Zelensky to say that he will help with the investigation. The orders are not coming through through some natural uh, State Department diplomatic. This is a a complete um, side Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani foreign policy apparatus that is underway here, which to me is just in black and white here as well. I'm not suggesting... That's an impeachable offense. I'm just saying, again, it is so out of the ordinary for the way that this stuff is is handled in in uh, in history in American administrations. 
Well, absolutely. Uh, Rudy Giuliani, of course, is not a member of the administration. He's working on behalf of the president. The president is, cl- is his client, not the United States of America. And it's very clear through these text messages, uh, just one bit of evidence that he has been very much involved in this, as we know, uh, for, for several months now. What else you got? I think the other one that we've been highlighting a lot is the one uh, from uh, also from Kurt Volker on the day of the call, the call that we've been talking about between President Trump and President Zelensky. He says, uh, Kurt Volker says, uh, good lunch. Thanks. Heard from White House. Assuming President Z, President Zelensky, convinces Trump he will investigate slash get to the bottom of what happened in 2016, we will nail down date for a visit to Washington. So that it's pretty clear there that it's saying, if you do this, we will then do that. That is what a quid pro quo is. <laughs> and by the way, just you'll remember at the UNGA, uh, this is still something on the mind of President Zelensky. He's like, uh, Mr. President, I still don't think you've given me that date of when we're actually going to have that meeting. I mean, I think we sometimes forget how hugely important this USAID is to Ukraine. Like, This is not um, this is. Their survival. This is uh, the Ukraine relies on this American aid so very much. So so Donald Trump understands the leverage he has here to try and really pressure uh, the Ukrainians to accomplish this goal that he wants of this investigation, because it, it is a matter of uh, real uh, it's an existential matter for the Ukrainians to have this aid come in and 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 have this meeting set up and have this relationship on the path uh, that is best going to help uh, the Ukrainians. And it just seems to me uh, Donald Trump was keenly aware of, of what that leverage point was. I, I am also amazed at this Bill Taylor text because to me this is one that just – I think it's the clearest example of – People being aware that what is happening is not on the level. So on September 1st, by the way, this is, you know, this is what, five, six weeks after that uh, July 25th uh, phone call. uh, Bill Taylor writes in a text, are we now saying, this is a group text, are we now saying that security assistance and White House meeting are conditioned on investigations? And Gordon Sondland, who is the ambassador to the EU, big Trump donor, responded, call me. Uh, That to me, I was just when I saw that text come out, I was like, well, this is just a clear understanding that what is what is being discussed on text here uh, would be better uh, not uh, in the public domain, if possible, that should be released like it has been. Well, well, certainly it seems that this shows some understanding on the part of, of Ambassador Sunland that maybe this shouldn't be discussed in writing. But you can clearly see that the, the Bill Taylor, the, the, the highest ranking diplomat, now that they've removed uh, the, the previous diplomat, which is part of this whole uh, investigation, the previous ambassador, I should say, uh, Marie Ivanovich, you now have Bill Taylor as the highest ranking diplomat uh, now in Ukraine. And he very clearly is interpreting this series of events in a way that's not, that shows it's not appropriate. And and Sunlin is saying, instead of saying absolutely not, he says, let's just take this offline. Now, I will just add, before we get to our next conversation with Maggie here and delve into the politics of this and, and, and how the president is handling this, I think what the president is up against, again, just back to where we started here, the phone call transcript that the White House released – uh, the actual whistleblower complaint, which, by the way, is corroborated by that uh, phone call uh, transcript, and now these texts, um, to me, it's because it's because of what is so clear 
that is now out in the public domain and the president's own words that we saw what he did yesterday on the South Lawn, adding China into the mix and and completely trying to normalize this behavior in some way so that um, it is seen as just more of that mess in Washington, that it that this is not some uh, hugely unique circumstance, but that if the president's willing to say, hey, China, come in, too. I want you to investigate on the South Lawn. This must be Trump being Trump and and that that somehow is OK. I, you know, as the Republican congressman Mike Turner said uh, last week in a congressional hearing, uh, Mr. President, this is not Okay. It's not okay, but this is this is the playbook that we've seen him use before. This is the same person who said during the campaign that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose any supporters. There are a whole lot of folks who support him who don't necessarily hear from uh, media like us. They hear from from Trump friendly media who's not going to delve into this on the same level. And so he succeeds in a way in, in muddying the waters and also in sullying or in, in poisoning the well and some on, 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 on some level against uh, Biden by just having his name in the headlines. We have to report. We have to put his name in the the chirons on television. He's constantly bringing up Biden anytime he's challenged on this issue. So he ends up succeeding at what the goal was, which was to hurt uh, Biden's candidacy. And we're seeing more of that. And he's going to keep being obvious about all this. All right, Athena, uh, we are going to have a ton more updates, analysis. And Maggie Haberman of The New York Times is coming up right after this quick break. And we're back. The Daily DC Impeachment Watch. Athena and I are now joined by New York Times White House correspondent and CNN political analyst Maggie Haberman. Maggie, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I want you to hear President Trump on the South Lawn of the White House today because I, when I heard the president speak today and he started really, I thought, sort of settling in on a, on a political defense here, almost like in the Mueller probe when he started settling in on – um, I was defending myself. I was fighting back that, you know, and then he just like that was a line that he was going to stick with. That's what I think we really heard today from the president when he said it was all about corruption and not politics. Take a listen. Uh, everything to me is about corruption. We want to find out what happened with 2016. And as you know, there's a lot of work going on in that. Uh, I don't care about Biden's campaign, but I do care about corruption. His campaign, that's up to him. Politics, that's up to them. I don't care about politics. It's really an example that we've seen repeatedly with President Trump of him almost reading the stage directions out loud, <laughs> right? Where it's like, you know, and, and it's all about corruption. And I'm talking when I might when I may mention politics, but it's really about corruption. That's the whole focus. I think you're right that we are seeing him try to shift the window toward this being about rooting out corruption from other players, other actors. We had heard this from White House officials, by the way, in over the last many days that this controversy has played out. The other thing I was really struck by, David, that the president said today, and I don't think we can we can emphasize this enough, is he made a comment about how if if we feel, meaning we, meaning the U.S., if we feel there is corruption to investigate, and then he said, just like I believe there was corruption in 2016, the emphasis, the important word there was feel. I feel. It was he feels this way. And then he immediately pivoted to I was investigated and they looked at me. So much of how he views the world of what should be is based on his feelings. And I think you are going to see a lot more of that going forward. So what did you take away from what? What did you sense that the president 
This is just grievance from 2016. Is, is still is that what you're hearing when he says he feels this way? I th- that that was my take on it. Yeah. I mean, it was literally I feel like I got hit and I got pushed at and I got investigated. And now why aren't you going at the other side? And we have heard him say a version of that, frankly, almost explicitly over time. Well, not just that. I mean, let's talk about this idea of the focus on corruption. How do we how are we defining corruption here? He was asked during that same a gaggle with the press. OK, talk about or t- what other uh, invest what other investigations are going on involving corruption? They don't other, have to do and other countries and other right? countries, countries that don't yes. have to do with your political rivals. And he didn't have an answer. He right. said, I'd, I'd have to check. And so it, it, it really raises the question of what do they mean by corruption? It's all fine and what good for the vice president to say, oh, this conversation was about corruption. And everyone's saying it's just about corruption. The real question is, what are they how are they defining this? Because it sounds like they're justifying it as something involving Biden. That's that's exactly right. And I think to a point that you made about them muddying the waters, that's what you're seeing right now. I heard from Republicans after uh, this closed door meeting with Kurt Volker, this closed door deposition, where he showed these texts, but he gave a number of answers. And what you heard from Republicans was, this is not the full picture, what you're getting from Democrats. It's much more complicated. The answers fill in a much more nuanced portrait. Nuance is not really the order of the day in politics anymore. (laughs) to put it mildly. I mean, he was there for nine hours. He was there for nine hours. uh, And and my understanding is Republicans stopped asking questions around 1 p.m. It was mostly Democrats after that. Uh, So Republicans are very eager to get that transcript out. Republicans are eager to reset this as this is just about corruption. And if you just look at the texts, they don't say the word Biden. That's what I heard over and over again. The problem is the texts do mention Burisma, which is this firm that Hunter Biden had been contracting with. And in this context, Burisma has generally been interchangeable with Biden. Yeah, I mean, that it just strains credulity in the sense that would would Donald Trump be very interested in rooting out the corruption at Burisma if a Biden wasn't involved? I, I doubt that Donald Trump had heard of Burisma until it was affiliated somehow with uh, with Hunter Biden. And I, but I do think, David, this is the this is the key point. A lot of people have basically waited for some new presentation of evidence, whether it was during Mueller. And these are the president's critics, obviously. But during Mueller um, or thereafter, this is going to be the thing that it's going to be impossible for them to escape or be impossible for his defenders to explain. And what we've seen, at least in the the past week, is his defenders will say over and over again, you're not really seeing that. That's not what you see. So I find that really interesting because, yes, some defenders are saying that. I find that is more coming from the president and his immediate team. And what I am hearing a bit more um, from Republicans on the Hill is a right now it seems they're in a process argument against Nancy Pelosi uh, in terms of how she's handling the impeachment process. I just want to read to you. Lindsey Graham uh, put out a statement today. You'll remember he was an impeachment House manager pursuing the case against Bill Clinton in 1998. He says, Democratic House members cannot be allowed to hide behind Speaker Pelosi when it comes to an impeachment inquiry of President Trump. They should and must vote to open an inquiry of impeachment so their constituents, country, and history can evaluate their actions. Now, we know in the Nixon scenario and the Clinton scenario, uh, there was a vote on the House floor to open an impeachment inquiry. Nancy Pelosi says... She doesn't have to do that. She said to George Stephanopoulos, well, I could and try to steal the talking point away from Republicans. But uh, she it seems to me that the Republicans are fighting this process 
argument, much more so than what you're seeing in front of you isn't what you think you're seeing in front of you. David, I would argue it's actually a grab bag because okay. remember, uh, Congressman, <laughs> Congressman McCarthy uh, went on 60 Minutes and yes. and said the transcript doesn't, he didn't say what he says in the transcript. I mean, literally says While that. While being quoted so, the transcript directly. Correct. And then sort of had to deal with that. So, and, and to be clear, part of why I think you're seeing this grab bag of them saying a, a variety of arguments is there is no clear direction from the White House on what people should be saying. Why is so, that? Well, there's a variety of reasons that there's no that there's a variety of answers. Um, one of which is that you know they are badly they are badly understaffed, uh, both in the comms uh, department and political advisors around the president. Mick Mulvaney, the acting White House chief of staff, uh, is a player in this whole uh, scenario in terms of the freeze on the military aid to Ukraine, and I don't think that we can ignore that. He was also the gatekeeper in terms of getting this meeting on the calendar between Zelensky and the president in the first place. So I think all of that is going to play out over time. Uh, I think that you are constantly seeing infighting around this president, and this is no exception. My understanding is that uh, Mulvaney is fighting with Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel. White House counsel is not empowered in the way that White House counsels typically would be in a situation like this. At least this one is not. Uh, and the president himself considers himself his best messenger. Right. And the, the the single biggest problem for Republicans right now is actually not the facts that we're talking about. It's that the president won't stop talking about this. Right. He won't stop saying no new things that they have to answer for. They have never been so happy to be in recess, I think, as they are right now. (laughs) You mentioned, and this goes back to your muddying point. I mean, one of the things that I do think is fascinating about this entire story is the facts, as you just said, they're not really in dispute. I know the interpretation of the facts are in dispute and how they're, but unlike other big partisan brawls in Washington, the facts here are not actually being uh, disputed, which, which I find pretty interesting. But I do think to, Athena, your point about muddying the waters, I... That has been successful for Donald Trump, and I don't see why it won't help him again in this process. If he can put everyone into their partisan corners for the most part, he's on much more comfortable ground to fight that. And I just think he has proven to be pretty skilled at that. And in the last couple of days, I think he's been doing just that. He's been doing that. We're going to see a lot more of that. I mean, they're taking the lesson from the Mueller investigation. This is what they did the whole time. Yes, we've heard these words before, and some might say, you know, hoax and and uh, witch hunt and that they, they've lost their power. But the fact of the matter is he takes every opportunity multiple times a day, whether in front of cameras or on Twitter, to put this same message out. It ignores the substance. It ignores the facts. And it says, look, they're just after me. And and the, the thing is, people are already in their corners. And like I said before, when you keep mentioning Biden's name in this sort of confusing mix and yes, you know, people, we in the media must constantly say these are unsubstanti- unsubstantiated claims. Uh, but still, there are claims that keep being repeated. And the more you repeat a claim, it ends up getting stuck in, in readers' minds and viewers' minds, especially those who aren't playing a whole lot of attention. And so very quickly, people could kind of uh, not lose interest, but I guess give up on trying to keep track of all of these uh, machinations and these daily developments. And here you have the constant drumbeat, very simple message from the president and his allies. Maggie, Athena, thank you for joining me on the Daily DC Impeachment Watch. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. We'll have a new episode every weeknight if you want help making sense of this fast-moving, increasingly complicated impeachment inquiry. Please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. And while you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. It really helps listeners find the show. 
And a special thanks to our team behind the scenes, Colin Daly, Jisoo Park, Raj Makija, Louis Folia, Elizabeth Roberts, Ariel Sachs, and Emma Sislowski. We'll see you on Monday.